When the disciples were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it and will send it back immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near the door, outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The Gospel of the Lord. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you to a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. 
Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him, one after the other, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all are deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough! The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up! Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately, while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. 
And with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power. And... Coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! The guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You were also with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I don't know what you're, or understand what you're talking about. And he went out to the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then, after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you're talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. 
As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask to Pilate to do for them according to custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluted, saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph brought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of a rock. Then he rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. The Gospel of the Lord. Daily panic attacks in the shower, postpartum anxiety has swallowed up my life. When did the pandemic become real to you? Maybe today in worship, take a moment and respond in the Facebook comments about your story. I know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, all these responses just are heartache and they speak to the struggle and the pain. Can't something become real without having it be so hard? Hmm. What do you think about that? When did life become real to you? It's a necessary question to ask because in many circumstances, the reality of life with its change, both expected and unexpected, are not always real to us. We hear of an earthquake across the globe and are stopped momentarily in solidarity, and then the routine of life distracts and drags us back again. It's hard to make real something you have not experienced yourself. You really cannot know the depth of grief of losing an unborn baby, a parent, a child, a spouse, until it happens to you. 
which both evokes the empathy of another's experience and the sheer terror of all that life can throw at us. There is something about this last year, though, where everyone was tossed into a sea of chaos, not knowing if they would tread water or even stay afloat. And it's not just the pandemic. When did the call to race, racial justice become real to you? When Amand Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd were murdered? When you saw the streets of Minneapolis burning and all the major news affiliates reporting from here? When your church put up a Black Lives Matter sign and then people took it down? When you no longer can respond to your relatives because your views and opinions differ so much? When you really considered how the color of your skin has shielded you from the realness of racial oppression because you are white? You received an email and a letter this week about Pastor Joel's new call as the next pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Pastor Joel, in your letter announcing your new call, you spoke about how this year became real to you. You wrote, as the pandemic shook so much loose in our lives, I recognize that the spirit was shaking something loose in me. A set of wonderings led to a series of conversations which blossomed into this new opportunity. And at each turning point, I kept saying yes, trusting that God was at work deep beneath all the unanswered questions and swirling emotions. And it has become clear to me that this move indeed is a response to God's invitation. When you wrote about your vulnerability, we felt, we heard that we cannot separate the disruption from the possibility. It's a messy mix of struggle and faith. It's a story with an unfinished edge, and it really comes that personally if we let it. Instead of spectators in this life, we are participants the Spirit of God does not discriminate on whom it lands. What we experience outwardly shapes us inwardly. And it is difficult to keep saying yes to what could be in the midst when what is next is just a blank line yet to be filled in. Our expected places and people and routines won't be the same. We can't set up the chessboard of life exactly how it was a year ago and simply pick up with the next move. This, of course, pokes at our anxiety and our need to control. Just wanting things, just keep it the same. But what if we just keep asking this question? How is the world around us, with its change and need for change, becoming real to us?
Mark's gospel is brief. The word immediately is used 42 times. From the minute Jesus enters the scene in chapter 1, there is a rush to get to some place. And it's this passion story. A third of Mark's gospel is spent on the last week of Jesus' life. There's no rushing this part of the story. When does the story of death become real to you? It doesn't take long to realize what human power will do. Even with God as the protagonist, Jesus still gets killed. Leaders cower, trusted friends scatter and betray. Crowds of cheer turn to crowds of condemnation. There's fear anchoring every move. Secret conversations behind the door deals. Fear of how this man, Jesus, is changing the world one person at a time. An innocent person is tortured and murdered with everyone else just watching it happen. We can understand it because we have and will experience this in real ways. Power wins, fear silences, death is an end. Yet as the story unfolds, when does the divine presence of God become real to you? There's a cult waiting, just as Jesus says. An unnamed woman breaks a jar. Expensive ointment drips all over, anointing Jesus. All of this at a male dinner. And this act of generosity and perceived waste finds a place in God's forever story. A Roman centurion, the one called to ensure that death succeeds, was the first one to confess Jesus as God's son. Women in the background stay and do not look away, trusting in a love far greater than the misery before their eyes. A temple curtain mysteriously rips, exposing the presence of God that had been protected from view. This story, when spoken, is foolishly expected. Another check mark for human power, another filled grave, and Jesus doesn't even fight back. Why doesn't God just finish the deal? Finally, just turn the table for once. We know now the empty tomb is not the end of the story. For a time it was, and even after the resurrection, everything doesn't get just better. Power still has the upper hand. Death is death. But there is a hope that God does not step over the frailty of this life or forego the hard parts. And so when life gets real, when we are crushed by what we experience, we hear that God is there too. And that is the exact place where God's spirit is moving in with and under, in the teetering between darkness and dawn. 
It's so hard to trust this when we're in that in-between space to see how something else is emerging and created and how we are changing and the world is becoming. It takes guts to trust, faith to keep going, and this story is given to us as we make our way. What is most interesting about the story, the article I've read, is that someone dared to ask the question and was curious about the response. It was an invitation to speak a personal story so the rest of the world can continue reading the chapter. And through the invitation, the realness of this life came through person by person, human stories linked together to enter places we have not been ourselves, to see not just the similarity, but the differences, to get a glimpse of the underbelly of each of us. And to wonder, just wonder, how God is accompanying us along the way. Let's be real. Amen.